The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony. Uh, He is an expert on the subject of retirement. He has a new book out called The New Retirementality, um, which is planning your life and living your dreams at any age you want. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thanks, Jordan. Happy to be with you. Let's just start with your background a little bit for people who don't know about you and kind of your background leading into uh, writing this book. Well, I've, uh, I don't know how far back you want to go, but I've been involved in a lot of things in my life, going all the way back to suicide prevention during the farm crisis of the early 80s in, in Iowa. And that was actually the first place I encountered uh, how money decisions can radically alter somebody's fate. And um, then about 15 years ago, I got pulled into the financial services world as a consultant on money issues and communicating with people around sensitive money issues. And it was shortly after that that I started taking a really close look at retirement. There's, there was always something about retirement that bothered me, Jordan, and it took a long time for me to figure out what it was and for it to crystallize. And when it did, I wrote The New Retirementality in 2001. And to be honest with you, when I first wrote the book, people looked at me a little cross-eyed and like, what are you talking about? And today that's all changed. We're in the fourth edition, just came out last month, and now the world has seen, seems to be coming this way. Tell me a little bit about that. What is it that they, we're going to get into the details of what you have in the book, but what is it that didn't connect with people when you first came well, out? Well, because I'm basically taking an iconoclastic view of retirement, saying this is, this is not a good idea for our times. It's, it's an idea that was invented for a very special period of time for, very, uh, for explainable reasons. It was an industrial age invention. It's a social experiment who's, that has run its course. And it was invented for a time, a period, where what we traded for a paycheck was physical capacity, physical labor. I mean, when you think about the whole history of mankind, right, going back hundreds and thousands of years, it's kind of interesting to note that the idea of institutionalized retirement's only been around for about 120 years. In the, in the past, people just worked till they died, basically. People, people worked until they couldn't work anymore. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in an agrarian culture, Grandpa was still getting on the tractor in his 80s, and as soon as he, he was told he couldn't do that anymore, he was usually dead within a year. And we still see some of that phenomenon today. But, you know, one of the things I like to explain, maybe we can get into this later in the interview because we do have some good time here, is what are we trading for a paycheck today and how does that change everything? Because if you're not trading physical capacity, in the industrial age, it just made sense that when somebody was in their 60s that they couldn't give you as much physical output as somebody in their 20s could. So they'd pull you out in, in your 60s and replace you with somebody in their 20s. And the machinery just sort of resumed its efficiencies. But that's not the reality that you and I and your listeners, for the most part, are living with today. And so, you know, that's my first definition of retirement, is that it's a social experiment whose time has passed. 
you begin the book with a short history of retirement and without going through the whole thing, what is it that kind of institutionalized this whole thing? And, and I guess it was Social Security, particularly in the 30s? Or what, well, what the yeah, I mean, moments? you know, before Social Security, 45, 50 years before Social Security, Otto von Bismarck started this whole thing in Germany. And it's kind of interesting to note that he, he mandated that if you were 70 years old, you had to retire. And the average German worker in 1889, when that came into, came into law in Germany, lived to the ripe old age of 46. It's also interesting to note that von Bismarck himself was 76 years old when he brought the legislation, so apparently he got grandfathered in, right? Well, they, he and didn't force so himself to retire then, then, then. In 1918, they lowered their, their age of eligibility for retirement to 65. In the United States, we borrowed on the idea in 1935 with the Social Security Act. What a lot of people don't know, Jordan, is that the, actual, the original name of the Social Security Act was actually the Older Workers' Pension Act of 1935. That, that name didn't exactly have a good marketing ring to it, so it was later renamed to the Social Security Act, but they borrowed on the, the German policy as far as eligibility of 65, and there were a few states that had pensions that kicked in at 65, and so they used that age. Well, in 1935, the average American lived to be 63, and so the promise of getting a check two years later wasn't all that appealing. So in 1937, the age of eligibility was ratcheted back to 62. So if you look at the original premise of retirement, institutionalized retirement in America, and we're going back, what, 75, 80 years here, the idea was you retired at 62 and you're dead at 63. It was a one-year one year journey, not a 30-year vacation subsidy. So people at that time did not think that life expectancy would get dramatically better and people would be living into their 80s and 90s? Yeah, well, apparently not. And and the fact is, if in the 1930s and even the early 1940s, if you were over 65 years of age, uh, there was an 80% chance you were still working somehow. And so, you know, then then the then the marketers got onto the idea. Um, you know, Del Webb literally invented the term golden age and golden ager, right? And mm-hmm. suddenly in the 1950s, insurance companies and whatnot, I got a hold of this idea that yeah, it was everyone's uh, birthright, so to speak, that once you work for X number of years to retire into a life of nothing but leisure, move to a, to a gated village, and play, play golf or shuffleboard to your dying days. And, you know, so I, I challenge that idea as well. Going from a life of binging on work to a life of binging on leisure isn't a good balance in life, and it just, it just, the, the evidence is in, it doesn't work. You have a new meaning for the word, uh, for the letters IRA. You call it individual retirement attitude. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is I'm not going to have an institution telling me when I ought to retire. I'm not going to have them tell me if I should retire. I'm not going to have them tell me when I should retire. We've got governments. We've got corporations. We have institutions that are basically setting out in front of us what I call artificial finish lines, Jordan. They're saying when you reach this age, this is what you should do. And so people feel compelled that when they hit their 60s, like, well, oh, I guess I better start thinking about retirement. And I'm saying, why? You know, I just had this conversation yesterday with a guy who's about to turn 65 next month, and he says, I love what I do. I spent years building these relationships. These people trust me. It's not hard on me to do this work. Why would I retire now? And I've heard that from thousands and thousands of people. And so it all goes back to the the individual retirement attitude is you do what's best for your life and don't let institutions tell you what to do. 
Now, there are, in, in some cases, mandatory retirement ages that are put into law, right? And, and universities and other places have that. Are you saying all mandatory retirement ages should be repealed? I'm saying they should all be challenged. And I know, listen, I know, you and I both know people who are teaching universities in their 70s. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got friends, I live next to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I got friends, I'll never forget this, one surgeon said to me, he said, you know, this guy, and by the way, this guy's ranked maybe in the top five in the world in his particular realm of surgery. And he said, I'm going to turn 65. He said, they're talking to me about retirement. He said, I've never been better at what I do. I still have steady hands. I, my mind's still working great. And he says, now they're talking to me about leaving and replacing me with somebody who's hardly even done the procedure. So uh, in a case like that, would you have him sue? I mean, if they're saying he should retire. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't take a litigious attitude. I just, I'm just saying challenge it, right? I mean, it's like we need to start challenging these institutions. 65 in, in 2014 doesn't mean the same thing as 65 did in 1984. And so we, we've got, you know, age is just a number here. It really comes down to your capability. Uh, it comes down to your perspicacity. It comes down to your passion for what you do. And, and for a lot of people, and I know there are a lot of people out there that feel this way, they absolutely love what they do. They're good at what they do. So why are we even bringing age into the discussion is my question. Yeah, it's been there a long time. So, for example, mandatory retirement ages, those still are pretty widespread in government and, and uh, colleges particularly. Is there a move to uh, yes. get rid of mandatory retirement ages? Yeah, there, 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 there are people challenging this at every turn. I know, for example, um, pilots, for years it was 60 years old, and I know that's being looked at. Yes, because that's another again, example. You know, if you can fly the plane and you're still good at what you do, what's the difference between 60 and 61? I, I guess like one argument would be, by letting, by making people retire, you're making room for younger people. Otherwise, they are ne never able to work, move up. Yeah, well, I mean, that argument comes into play. So, you know, uh, I'm not going to be the person who's going to sit there and predict generational warfare in the streets. You know, it's that, that's part of capitalism, I guess. There's competition for for jobs and for money. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, in in the uh, uh, the uh, chapter you have about removing artificial finish lines, you talk about illusions, delusions, and hype. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, I, I, in, in, in terms of retiring at 62, I guess I don't know specifically what you're asking there. Uh, you're on page 15 here where you talk about, you know, you won't have enough to retire pounds on people, but it's really an illusion that many people can live a lot longer and be, be more productive, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, the, I guess the illusion here is that I have to have enough money by the time I turn 62 to basically live off the interest the rest of my life. Well, you, you probably know better than anybody, uh, especially better than I do, how many people are not at that place, right? For sure. And particularly and, and low so, interest rates. So, but they're, they're, they've been beat up over this thing. It's like I, you know, I, I, I kind of give a hard time to the people in the financial services industry and say, you know, um, I think people are getting a little beat up on this conversation. Hi, how are you? How much do you have? At what age do you want to retire? And, oh, you're going to, by the way, you're going to be really poor. I mean, how, how, how many people are lining up to hear that? They're sick yeah. and tired of hearing it. And, and, you know, God help me if I see one more television commercial with a guy carrying a great big number through an airport. This isn't about a number. It's about living your life. And, and you know, there's, there's compromises we can make with our cost of living. There's compromises we can make in terms of working longer, working part-time. And, and, hey, there's a reason... 
people, 60% of the people who retire this year are going to go to work part-time at least within the first year, within the first 12 months of their, their so-called retirement. There's reasons for that, and those reasons aren't just economic reasons. Some would say that low interest rates and people earning almost nothing on their savings today is one reason that people can't afford to retire because they're just going to run through their capital if it's not earning anything. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd be the better person to speak to that point than I would. I'm not really an investment guy, so to speak. Um, but I agree with you, right? I mean, it, but here's the deal. The stars have sort of aligned this way. It's just a reality that everyone's going to have to deal with. You either, a lot of people don't have the money to retire, and to them I'm saying this could be a blessing in disguise because retiring to a life of nothing but leisure isn't a great thing anyway. Uh, and And for those that... And that, you know, just the other day, I had this conversation with a guy who had the means to retire. He could he could live off the the dividends for the rest of his life, and he's a year into his retirement, and he said he's going crazy because he's not intellectually challenged anymore. Yeah, that's a very common problem. Yeah, it's a okay, big we're, problem. We're going to it's one that we actually? need to address, and it's it's something I really enjoy talking about because what we are trading here these days for most of us, what you and I are trading, and what probably the the better portion of your listeners are trading for a paycheck today is intellectual capital. And and I have a question for them about their intellectual capital. What is the expiration date on your expiration, or excuse me, what is the expiration date on your intellectual capital? That's the question you got to answer. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony, whose book is called The New Retirementality. Uh, his website is MitchAnthony.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony. Uh, He's a thought leader in the area of retirement. Uh, His fourth edition of his book is called The New Retirementality, and his website is MitchAnthony.com. Welcome back to the show, Mitch. Uh, Happy to be here. So there are certain assumptions you say people should be making in the reality of today, and one of them is you assume you should work longer than age 65. Is, is that what's happening, in fact, for most people today? That, that is what's happening, and I think it's a safe assumption that to consider that you're going to work, and of course this opens up a lot of discussions about the kind of work you can do. We can get into that later, but the bottom line is the, the whole idea of having someone take care of you is a terrible assumption to make today. And, you know, I've always defined a pension as a promise that's good until it's not. Isn't it amazing how people can go along for 25 and 30 years believing they're going to get something, and then suddenly with some fancy accounting, that liability is wiped off the books of the corporation. We've seen incident after incident of that, haven't we? So this is like when companies like the airlines went bankrupt and and put their pensions on the PBGC, or uh, when they converted uh, defined benefit pensions into defined contribution, or, or what happened with Detroit recently, I guess, with the pensioners of the city of Detroit. Are those the kind of things you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, and that trend's only going to continue, and the PBGC is overloaded with, I mean, they're, they're, they're being stretched beyond their capacity now, and, you know, I can't, I can't even tell you how many pilots and flight attendants I talked to back, you know, was just a few years ago when all their pensions were thrown topsy-turvy who believed they were going to get X amount 3x a year and end up with 1x a year. A lot of these people got a third of what they were promised. And so, uh, you know, again, this sort of goes back to a safe assumption is no one's going to take care of you, and you've got to do this yourself. And if you're sitting around counting on some, some pension being there, I, I just don't think it's a safe assumption. And even if your institution that's making the promises rock solid, you don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. Now, is this worse on the uh, public side or the p- private side? On the public side, there's a huge amount of underfunded pension plans. Uh, and on the private side, as you say, they kind of to take them away altogether. Tell us about public versus private on the pension side. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. The, on the private, in the private sector, almost everybody's gone away. And, you know, you've seen the numbers through for the last 10 to 15 years. But I think, what, less than one in five employees on the private side ha- even ha- have any promise of a pension whatsoever. I know in our town, and we have an IBM facility here, I think it was 20 years ago when they made their move from from pensions to 401ks, and so they're, they're pushing all the responsibility toward the employee. And uh, I, I can't really speak too much to the uh, the public sector, but uh, uh, I, you, you might know more about that than I do as far as what's going on with the public pension. But, well, you know, you have a lot of... That are dramatically <laughs> underfunded. I mean, Illinois, New Jersey particularly, but some of these funds are 50 and 60% funded. I mean, they've got literally trillions of dollars when you combine them all together, that are unfunded pension liabilities. It's, yeah, so, you know, it's kind of like with Social Security. They're borrowing against the future from somewhere. Yeah. And so they're taking risk okay. to pay those things. So, so yeah, the, the entire pension system is at risk. So you're saying you should assume you should work longer, and also you're saying you should assume you should live longer. What are life expectancies today for men and women, uh, you know, in, in basically decent health? 
Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about mid-80s for life expectancy today. If you're 65 years old, uh, she's probably going to live two years longer than, than he does. But you're talking about, you know, 18 to 20 years here of life expectancy. Of course, the other side of that is if you don't work at all, if you don't have any engagement that really challenges you at all, that life expectancy drops dramatically. I saw a figure here recently that a, a man at 65 years old that has nothing to do, so to speak, you know, but sit around and uh, get in his wife's way, uh, his life expectancy is under 10 years. Have you talked to a lot of people who've done this, who've kind of switched from all work to all leisure, and most of them are not too happy with it after a while? Yeah, Tell me about yeah, that there, I've talked to literally hundreds of people about this. And so, you know, let, let's get into that topic a little bit. Rand did a study here uh, three or four years ago on the great, they call it the great unretirement trend. And they found a couple reasons for this unretirement trend, one of which was the law of diminishing return on leisure. Um, I, I think about one of the best lessons I ever got about this, I had a friend that I golfed with at our golf club. He retired some years ago. And I, I happened to run into him on his very first day of retirement. He was just grinning, you know, like, like it was the greatest thing in the world. He's like, do you realize, Mitch, he said, I've waited 35 years for this day. And he said, all I have to do today is golf. And he said, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I said, I bet you're going to golf. He said, that's right. And he said, you know what I'm going to do every day? I said, I bet you're going to golf. He said, that's right. And so we had this conversation. I'm, you know, he's, he's, he's all excited. I see him a couple months later. We tee off. I join him on the first tee. First hole, he gets a double bogey. Second hole, he gets a triple bogey. So I suppose my timing might have been off just a little bit. But on the third tee, I said, so, Dave, have your feelings about retirement changed at all? He said to me, and I thought this was a very profound point. He said, you know, he said, there's one thing they never told me. I said, what's that? He said, play, golf, leisure, is my catharsis from work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that I'm not working anymore takes pleasure away from it because what made it so fun it was that I wasn't working. I was playing. And he said, now my play has become my work, and I'm five over after two holes, and I pretty much ruined my day of work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's pretty pithy uh, observation, right? Yeah. yeah. It, that, that when you remove work, you literally strip meaning from leisure. And that's why you have so many grumpy old men on the golf course. You know, these guys have, why is it that so many people have nothing to do but play, spend all day complaining? Yeah. Because right? And I'll tell you why is, I've talked to, right? like I said, I've, ta- I've interviewed hundreds of people on this topic. When you, the day you wake up with no sense of purpose is the day that your life begins unraveling. And you've got so many people that are bored, they're aimless. I'll never forget the guy who told me, he said, within three weeks, I'm wandering around my garage and basement looking for something to break so I have something to fix. <laughs> now, yeah. one of the things you talk about is visioning. Explain what visioning is and how people should do that. Well, one of the chief reasons retirements fail is because people retire from something instead of to something. And so you've got, to have a, you've got to have somewhat, you can't predict everything you're going to do, but the challenge I give people is, how are you, I, I, always, I like to put it this way, everyone has the same amount to spend in retirement, 168 hours a week. How are you going to spend your 168 hours? It's amazing to me, Jordan, how many people are getting ready to launch themselves into a 30-year journey and haven't given one minute's thought or five minutes' thought on what they're going to do with 168 hours a week. That's a long time 
That's a lot of time to not plan for. It's like going on a 30-year trip and not using MapQuest. I mean, where, where are you? Where are you going? So how does this visioning process work? Well, you basically, I, to, for me, it's figuring out the balance you want, okay? Because life's really about finding the perfect balance for you as an individual. And what defines balance for you and what defines balance for me are probably going to be two different definitions. And the balance starts with what's the balance between vocation and vacation, right? Between work and play. And then there's the balance between connecting with others and, and improving yourself, you know, personal growth. Some people want to improve their physical health. Others want to improve their intellectual health. Others want to go on spiritual retreats or join communities or do, get involved with different uh, groups and activities. Uh, so, so you have those four activities, work, play, connecting, and personal growth. What's the ideal balance for you in terms of how you're going to spend your time to achieve those things? And then, of course, the financial question is going to come in later. How are you going to pay for it? Do you have the means to pay for that kind of life? So visioning really is just about figuring out who you are and what makes you happy. So I've created this little profile called My Retirementality Profile where people answer these questions and they get a, they get a graph that shows them this is your personality. These are the things you need to pursue. And one of the problems I see is that he and she don't always agree on this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's actually a spike in the divorce rate within the first two years of retirement. Because that, that spacing that had been become comfortable during the working years has now been threatened. And it's kind of like the old line where she said, I married you for better, for worse, but not for lunch. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And it, or, or as I heard a lady say this just last week, she said, I'll tell you what retirement is. It's too much husband and not enough money. <laughs> yeah, right? You have something called collecting a play check. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by collecting a play check is if you're lucky enough to have figured out what it is you really love doing and you, uh, and you actually get paid for doing that. And I don't know that it's all luck either. I think there's a lot of intentionality with that. One thing that's always bothered me is how people, you know, and I think this is part of the old retirement model. You just took a job, a J-O-B, and you grind it out at the job 40 hours a week for 40 years, then you retire to 40% less income. Well, I just had this conversation with a friend the other day who's a lawyer who hates being a lawyer. He's 40 years old. And I looked him in the eye and I said, hey, hey bud, this is not a dress rehearsal. Right, this is the real deal. You, what you want to do is figure out what you're passionate about, what you're interested in, what intrigues you, what energizes you, and figure out how to make a living doing that. If you can do that, you'll never work a day in your life. You'll start collecting a paycheck. So that's what I mean by collecting a paycheck. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, feel that way about the work they do, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't feel that way. And the people who don't feel that way, the question I put to them is, how much is your paycheck costing you? You know, there's a benefit side and there's a liability side. And if your paycheck's costing you more than it's giving you, then it's time to reexamine your relationship to work. So that's, that's when cutting back makes sense, when it's, it's costing you more than it's benefiting you. Is what Absolutely. You're well, I mean, think about how many people you know whose work life has eroded their family life, it's eroded their personal life, it's eroded their, per- you, know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just it's, they're unhealthy. We all know yeah. people like this. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you find yourself in that kind of place in life, then your paycheck is costing you more than it's giving you, and it's time to reexamine it. 
so it's yeah, and but then so people can go from one extreme too much work to the other extreme too much leisure, yeah. and that usually doesn't work out either. That doesn't work out either because they're aimless and they're bored, and you know it's like. A, a, a gerontological researcher at the Mayo Clinic to, told me this. He said, "He said, Mitch, I can pretty much prove that a life of total ease is two steps removed from a life of total disease." Mm-hmm. And he it said, is. "The first step in the progression is they go from they they become bored. It's like I and, and let me tell you, Jordan, I love to golf as much as the next guy. Okay, I mean, if it's sunny and I got my work done, I'm gonna be at the golf course or the driving range every day I can." But if that's all I wake up and that's all I have to do, that changes everything. And so this gerontological researcher said to me, he said, first they become bored, and he said the second step in progression is they become pessimistic. Mm -hmm. That's where you get the complaining, right? That's where they become hard to deal with. And he said once they become pessimistic, it's a downward spiral in their health. And another thing here, this is an interesting point. The Dementia and Alzheimer's Research Institute here just a year or two ago came out with a study where they said that, that literally the number one factor holding back the progression of both those disease states, they, they call it the finger in the dike, they said this is the thing that holds it back from progressing in your life is intellectual challenge, maintaining intellectual challenge in your life. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony. His book is called The New Retirementality. His website is MitchAnthony.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony, the author of The New Retirementality. 
He's a real thought leader in the whole area of retirement and financial life planning. His website is MitchAnthony.com. Welcome back to the show, Mitch. Hey, good to be here. How do you define work? It's a different way than the way most people think of work. Yeah, I, one of the things I like to say is that work is no long, need no longer be a four-letter word. And I think that's part of the industrial age um, reality where a lot of people took jobs they didn't like and they just kind of grinded it out uh, until the day they could retire. I define work as an engagement that brings value to others and meaning to me. So, and I'll repeat that, an engagement that brings value to others and meaning to me. And, and please note, uh, all your listeners note, that I didn't say anything about money there. So that could yeah. be a volunteer engagement that brings value to others and meaning to me. But the idea of work is that I'm doing something that means something, that I'm contributing, I'm not just consuming. The, the, the old vision of retirement was a consumer retirement. You're going to sit behind your gated walls, you're going to sit in martinis, you're going to play games. I'm talking about the contributing retirement. And, you know, somebody else who's doing some great work along these lines is Mark Freedom in the Encore.org group that I don't know if you've seen the purpose prize they give out each year, but they last year gave out five $100,000 prizes to people in their 60s and 70s who are making great contributions to society. So it feels good to them, and it also is making a contribution. It's, it's that's exactly right. And, but see, here's the whole deal. The whole idea of retirement is I no longer am going to work. Well, let me tell you something. Work's good for our soul. And I'm talking about the definition I gave, that when I do something that brings value to you and meaning to me, and, and Jordan, look at the work you're doing. It's bringing value to others, and I'll bet it's meaningful to you to get on the radio every day and talk about this stuff. Right. So, so here, the question I, that this all begs then is, What's age got to do with this? Are, are we going to say now that once a person reaches the age of 65, they should no longer be, be bringing value to others and meaning to themselves? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't you make ha- any sense at all, and that's why I say retirement is an artificial finish line. It's a, it's a number that was made up, and it no longer applies. You have the difference between what you call simply aging and successful aging, or what you call saging. What's the difference between those two? Well, first of all, I'd like to differentiate aging from getting old. Aging is, is, is a, a numerical issue, right? You and I have a date of birth, and there's not a whole lot we can do to change that. And so tomorrow we're going to be one day, uh, our age is going to be one, one day more than it is today. Old, however, is an attitudinal issue. Okay, age is a, is a chronological issue, old is an attitudinal issue. I'll bet every one of your listeners knows somebody who's 75 and acts like they're 45. Yeah. And I'll bet they also know somebody who's 40 and acts like they're 90. Mm-hmm. And the reason we know people like that, and that just proves what I'm saying, that age is chronological, but old is attitudinal. You don't get old till you decide to get old. And so... The beautiful thing, I just love when I meet people who are in their 70s and their 80s and even their 90s, and they're living these vibrant lives, and they're active, and they're challenging themselves still. Yeah, I've got a guy I run into uh, three times a week at the gym. He's 70-some years old, and he's down there shooting baskets every day. My father is going to be 79 here in a couple months, and he goes and shoots 150 shots every other day, Right. And I talk to these people, and, and what they tell me is, you can't quit. Because as soon as you start saying, oh, this hurts and that hurts and I can't do this anymore, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. It's a use it or lose it proposition. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's where, where growing old comes into play. When you start telling yourself you can't do this and you can't do that. Now, sure, if you got a handicap and something serious happens, that's a different issue. But there are a lot of people that are voluntarily getting old when they don't need to. If you look around the world, there's a tremendous demographic challenge coming in that a lot of populations are getting quite old. In Europe and Japan, they're already quite old, and other places are getting that way too. Is there going to be a major demographic crunch as people physically live longer but aren't able to take care of themselves? Well, there's definitely going to be stress on the economic systems. I mean, look what's, look what's going on. Like you just mentioned, in, in uh, Japan, in Europe, where the birth rate isn't even close to keeping up with the, with the aging of the population. And so, yeah, it's going to create a lot of stress on the, on the health systems and on the governments and everything else. And so there are a lot of people looking into this idea of successful aging that we're talking about. I, I have a chapter in the book I think you're referring to called The Vitamin C's of Successful Aging. And uh, basically what I did is just sort of summated 30 years of research on successful aging and all the factors just happen to start with C. Uh, the first is connectivity. Stay connected to people that energize you and people you're energized by, people that love you and people that you love. And, and you, I think you mentioned this on a break. Uh, that you did a story for Money Magazine one time about people who were moving back from Florida. Correct. Right? Correct. What, the, it's, it's amazing to me, I, and I don't know who comes up with these ideas, but so they know that con, being, staying connected to, to the people you want to be connected to is important. So what's the American dream? It's to retire to some village a thousand miles away where you don't know anybody and you even hate their accent. <laughs> right? And, and they're all dying, too. Well, I'll tell you yeah. thought up. Del Webb thought it up. Yes. And, <laughs> and it just doesn't work for everybody. And yeah. so staying connected to the people that, that matter most to you is an important factor. Curiosity is an important factor, that you're still learning. And, and uh, think of the people that you know that are living vibrant lives in their 80s and 90s. They're, they're curious people, Right. They yes. never stop learning. They wake up every day wanting to learn something. Creativity is a factor. Charity is a factor. And intellectual challenge and physical challenge are factors. Those are the, those are the vitamin C's of successful aging that we need to focus on. And another thing I'd like to point out here are the Blue Zone studies. I don't know if you've run across those, but I think it was a New York Times writer that wrote a book called Blue Zones, and I think there's actually a website of the same name. And they found pockets, uh, groups around the world who age successfully uh, much much more successfully than, than the average people and who have higher incidences of centenarians, etc. And uh, one group in particular really stood out to me, and that was on Okinawa Island. And one of the things they discovered was that these people did not have a word in their vocabulary for retirement. Now, isn't that ironic? Mm -hmm. There was no such term. And, but they did have a term that all people over the age of 65, 70, etc., were constantly querying each other on, and the term was Ikigawa. They would ask each other, what is your Ikigawa? Uh, the best translation I can give you for Ikigawa is, what is your reason for waking today? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. If you what don't have that, you really wither quickly, you're saying. Now, you, you talk in the book about the, uh, moving from return on investment to return on life, or ROL, instead of ROI. What do you mean by that? Well, at the risk of sounding overly simplistic, I, I guess I'd like to put it this way. What, what is the purpose of life? Is it to build a pile of money, right? Yeah. And to be able to say we built a pile of money and then hope we, we're healthy enough to buy an RV and start cruising? Or is the purpose of life to use our money 
in a way that delivers a better quality of life. So I meet so many people who are all about the return on investment, and they're not paying attention to what it's costing them, as I mentioned earlier. Return on life is getting the best life I can with the money I have. And so, you know, it's like while I'm, while, while I'm raising young children, I want to be around to see my young children. There will come a day when my children grow up and they're going to be gone, and then maybe that's the time I can do some of these other things. Uh, I want to work while I can work. I want to travel while I can travel. You know, a lot of people have sort of given up on the idea of backloading all their travel and going places to when they're retired and older for fear they won't have the health. I mean, I, I think we all know the story of the person who waited until they're 65 and they bought the RV, and the RV never left the driveway. Yeah. Because yeah. they had a catastrophic health issue take place that threatened everything. So re the return on life approach to life is just basically saying, my life isn't about building a pile of money. My money is about helping me build a life. And I'm going to utilize that money in a way that pays me now and pays me later. And so, you know, one of the things that some people in the retirement industry sort of get upset with me and say, well, gee, it sounds to me like you're telling people not to save re for retirement. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is retirement's irrelevant. What we should be saving for is autonomy for freedom, right? There's, the best thing that money buys me and you is the ability to do what we want with our time. Can you tell me a better payoff with money? Yeah. Right? Oh, if right. I've got the money, I can do what I want with my time. I can wake up and do what I want. That is called autonomy. That's freedom. That's what ought, ought to be motivating people to save more money, to get to that place, to get to that day where they're writing their own schedule and somebody else isn't telling them what, what to do with their time. And that can be done at earlier ages or later ages. That's exactly right. If you remove retirement from this conversation and say, what's the best thing I can do? What's the best thing money can buy me? I, I have a hard time thinking of anything besides autonomy, anything better than autonomy. Yeah, because there's such a I've guilt there, right now. I've had to work for somebody else and have them tell me what to do with my time, and I've also been autonomous a large part of my career. I like autonomy better. There's such a guilt trip out there. About uh, you, you see these ads and so on. Oh, you can't spend that now because you have to save that for retirement. It's got to grow and all those kind of things. And it just makes people miserable on both ends. Yeah, it makes, that's exactly right. It makes them miserable on both ends. Why can't we live a little bit now and save for tomorrow, right? But that, that whole program, Jordan, is a prescription based on the old reality that we're going to do all our playing at the end. Yeah. And you're not make, you're not in shape to do the playing at the end in many cases. And yeah, you know it cost it cost me what I eight nine thousand dollars to take my family to Hawaii. I, I I didn't want a refund when I was done. That's that's in the memory books. Yeah, that was a great time. Somebody but somebody could have guilted tried to guilt me and say you know if you would have saved that that would have grown us. So what? <laughs> right. Well, as long as you've got enough. I mean, there are a lot of people retiring in poverty today because they haven't saved anything. Well, yeah, and that's because they lack discipline. Right? I mean, if, we don't, if we're not disciplined about saving and if we're not disciplined about the level of debt we incur and if we're not disciplined about the amount of money we spend, you know, it's, it's like my friend Dick Wagner says, there's only three rules to becoming wealthy. There's only three, three rules you've got to follow. Number one, spend less than you make. How many people do you know that don't do that? A lot. <laughs> N number two, save all you can. Number three, don't do anything stupid. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's it. And a lot of people don't save enough. They do with the, the ethic, he said, always try to live on half of what you make. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's a good rule. And I've always attempted to do that my entire life. And if people did that, you know, instead of, instead of 
pinning themselves against a mortgage that they can barely afford and a car that they can barely afford, they would have learned to be content with less and, and would be happier today and they'd be happier tomorrow. This is not the way America works, though. It's all about more and more and more and consuming and yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. You know, it's like oh, like it, it almost sounds like they're telling us we got to go spend so the economy will work. Right, that's right. Well, if you need me to go into debt to make your economy work, I'll pass. <laughs> okay, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony. His book is called The New Retirementality. His website is MitchAnthony.com. We'll be back after this. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio, every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mitch Anthony. Uh, His uh, website is MitchAnthony.com, and his book is called The New Retirementality, Planning Your Life and Dreams at Any Age You Want. Welcome back to the show, Mitch. Thanks, Jordan. You have a whole chapter on the uh, Alexander Maslow uh, kind of uh, needs of of life, and and you kind of put that together with retirement and what kind of different money you need for different things. Just explain that a little bit. Well, yeah, it's a little chart I put together called Maslow Meets Retirement because I just, I I was, to be honest with you, Jordan, I was just annoyed at the way the financial services sector approached retirement and retirement spending. They would sit down with people and say, what is your dream? Right, so we got we got to we got to build a fund for your dream money, and I thought you know that's interesting because Abraham Maslow basically said that self actualization actualization and dreams were the last thing you need to talk to people about. First thing you need to talk to them about is survival. 
right? You can't Starting talk to people the, the about high-level emotional needs until their lower-level needs are met, right? So we're not going to talk to you about a second vacation home when you don't have food in your pantry. Yeah. And so what I did is I just basically took Maslow's hierarchy of needs and created a retirement income conversation. So the first conversation we have, and, and, and people can apply their numbers to it, is what is it going to take for me to survive? How much money do I need to survive? And if my survival bill is too high, then I got to start questioning, is this really a survival thing or is this, is this a need or is it a want? Once we've solved the how much do I need to survive bill, next thing we move to is safety. Like, how do I protect what I have? How do I not lose? You know, when you talk to somebody that's 60 years old, uh, they don't have another lifetime to earn all this money again, so there's got to be some, some hedging, some protection in place, some risk management. And then from there, we go into what are the things I love to do and how much does it cost to do them? Who are the people I want to help and how much do I want to help them? And then the last thing we talk about is, I guess, in modern jargon, the bucket list. You know, what are the things you've always wanted to do and what would it cost to do those things? But we segregate those conversations financially because you have to take them in the order of importance, how important they are to each individual human being. And everyone's got to get their survival bill figured out first. And you're saying most financial planners do it the opposite. They start with a dream because that's much more fun to talk about than the survival part. Exactly. And it's kind of like, do you remember the, I think it was the Schwab ads where the, they kind of had the, the, uh, the posterized characters going, a vineyard, really? A vineyard? Yeah. You remember that commercial? Right. Like, right. we're going to sit here and talk to a guy about, I'm going to retire and go plant a vineyard in Napa. What the heck? You know, it's like, this is not resonating with people, especially after the market correction and the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, where people saw the erosion of their assets. It's like, people, people are not clued into that conversation. They're, they're clued into the conversation about survival and just doing the things they want to do in their everyday life, not about these, these uh, pie-in-the-sky dreams. What has been the psychological impact of 2008 financial crisis combined with Madoff and people getting ripped off who thought they were being very safe? Well, I mean, yeah, you're you're in some murky waters there, Jordan. It's it's you know when we 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 all are looking for better investments, aren't we? Yeah. But now it now it's like who can you trust? And when somebody has a really good story, it makes it all the less believable, right? Mm-hmm. And you have this affinity fraud that's just rampant in America, people just using relationships to get people to invest. And, and people are skittish. I think you could go on all day, and you'd probably be much more the expert on this than I am, but people are afraid of the markets, and so that makes them more susceptible to these pitches outside the markets that are often fraudulent. Right, and that's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. It's happened to me. It's happened to friends of mine. It's happened to my own mother. It's just, you know, it's we we have to really be careful these days. But then, as you mentioned to me uh, earlier, uh, you can't make anything in savings accounts these days. So it makes people more desperate to do some kind of a... It really does. And I think, I don't know that we've ever had more desperation in the senior ranks for getting income. And and it makes them all the more vulnerable. Yeah. You have a chapter you call uh, Don't Go It Alone. Uh, what do you mean by that? Is this as far as well, I just community? Well, a lot of people have been so, sort of sold a bill of goods on doing this by themselves. I mean, it's, good advice is worth its weight in gold. And I'm not a shill for the financial advice industry. Trust me. I, I talk to these people about transparency and honesty and communication and integrity every week. And 
I know there are a lot of advisors out there that are good people, that are honest people, that will do the right thing for the right reason for you. Those are the people you need to find. Find yourself a planner with integrity, not a salesperson masquerading as your advisor. In many cases, people put up a defense that they don't want to pay any fees, whether it's a commission or... Um, yeah, that's a management fee because the fact they of the matter is, advice is worth something, right? If you help me not lose, you're worth something. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I see is I see people that are in their sixties and seventies getting up every day and staring at the ticker on CNBC. What in the world kind of life is that? Right, yeah. going through an emotional. And you know, what I tell those people, invest in Pepto Bismol. <laughs> Because because there's going to get be a lot of it sold to you. <laughs> yeah, it's not good for their their frame of mind at all to be up and down. All yeah, the time. yeah. So so uh, to me, it's it's a better proposition to find someone trustworthy and with integrity, and that has good has good uh, a good report, and to work with them at a fair rate uh, for their advice, and let them worry about it. And how would you do that? Would you do a fee-only planner, or would you? What, what kind yeah, of ways would you do I don't want to person? get that finite about it, but I think I think the majority of the industry is moving toward a fee, right, of assets under management. But no, I, I don't like to get into that discussion. I just say find someone who's who's going to put your interests first and who has integrity. You, you call them wealth-building partners. That's really what you're looking for, right? Yeah, you're looking for somebody that's that's invest. You know. Their, their reputation hinges on how well they treat you. And, you know, they can check sources like broker check and, and check these people's background out. I happen to have a financial advisor that, that is just high integrity, is transparent about fees and what things cost, has nothing to hide, and looks out for our best interest. There's, there are those people out there, and you and I both know that. Indeed. Well, in about two minutes we have left, why don't you sum up the difference in people's lives if they follow the advice in your book compared to the traditional way of thinking of retirement? Well, my, my advice to people is as much attention as you pay to invest in your money, let's pay at least that much attention to investing your life. Your life, your experience, your wisdom, your intellectual capital, your relational capital, what you've gained over a lifetime is too important to just sit on the sidelines and not use. You know, it's like, kind of like compounding wealth. When does compounding wealth really kick in? Toward the end, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's when it really kicks in. And those last five, ten years is when the greatest amount of growth happens. I would say that's true as a metaphor as well. That's when your life begins to compound toward the end, the last five, ten, fifteen years, when you can really start reaping the dividends of a lifetime of harvesting intellectually, spiritually, psychologically. Yeah, that's very different the way most people think of it is uh, playing at the end after having worked very hard. It's a very different way of looking at it. Yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's, just, it's growing. It used to be the badge of honor to retire at 55 in America. The new badge of honor is going to be being 85 and working part-time because you want to. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Mitch Anthony. His book is called The New Retirementality, Planning Your Life and Living Your Dreams at Any Age You Want. His website is MitchAnthony.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.MoneyAnswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 